Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. I am really excited for today's episode because the person I'm interviewing was actually a huge part of my story of quitting drinking and sobriety long before she even quit drinking. Her name is Stephanie Wilder. She made a name for herself as a champion of a mom's right to booze. She wrote the now defunct column, Make Mine a Double, Tales of Twins and Tequila, and books including Sippy Cups Are Not for Chardonnay, and Nap Time is the New Happy Hour. Today, Stephanie is sober. In her new book, Drunkish, Loving and Leaving Alcohol, Stephanie recounts the rise and the fall of her relationship with alcohol from the liquor cabinet concoctions that got her started at 14 to her online fame as a wine-loving mommy blogger, to the disastrous evening when she drove drunk with her kids in the car that marked the end of her drinking. Stephanie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Casey, for having me. I'm really excited. 
Yeah, I'm excited too. And I mentioned to you just before we jumped on that long before I think you even quit drinking, uh, my son was born in 2008. And I was a little bit of a late mom. I didn't want to sort of give up my younger lifestyle. And when he was born, I found your book, Sippy Cups Are Not for Chardonnay, and Nap Time is the New Happy Hour. And I glommed onto those because I was fully in the, my child will not define my life, and I will still be fun and sought out other moms who loved to drink at happy hour. And so I was fully bought into that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's maybe not as common as the mommy wine culture would have you believe, but I think for people like us, maybe who had that specific attitude or came into it a little later, I had a whole, a whole life. You know, I had my first daughter, I was in my late thirties. So I'd been a stand-up comedian for years and years and years. I just had such a lifestyle of just doing whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. And I was really one of those people who was on the fence about even having kids. You know, I knew I I knew I didn't not want to have a baby. Yeah. But it was really hard to wrap my mind around that big a change to my lifestyle. I thought I was pretty happy as is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So Absolutely. But I definitely wanted to be a mom. Part of the reason I think too, that I wanted to be a mom was not necessarily the right reason, but whatever. I absolutely am obsessed with my kids. So whatever got me there, but it was kind of like, I didn't like the way I was parented. And I I saw having my own child as a way to re like a redo, you know, like I think I, I know what, how I would want to raise a kid. Of course, all that goes out the window when you have kids and you're like, I'd have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah, absolutely. I know what you mean because my husband and I had been together. So we met when we were 22 and got married when we were 27 and had our first kid at 32. And so my sister, you know, met, she's a year and a half older than me, met her husband, got married and had kids pretty soon thereafter too. Her kids are a year apart. And my mother was very much like, when are you going to have kids? And to the point where she was, I mean, I remember this vividly. She was like, you know, Casey, that you can drink red wine when you're breastfeeding because it helps the milk let down. I mean, that's the old school thought pattern. But the fact that she said that to me as if she thought that was the barrier to me getting pregnant, in my mind, like looking back now, I was like, oh, wow, that's kind of messed up. That's so interesting. Yeah. Did you have, I found this to be true for me and quite a few women that I know that don't, moms that I know that quit drinking. But when I was pregnant, it was very tricky because I did not really have the urge to drink that much. My, my, I would not have said before I even got pregnant, I would not have said that I had a problem with alcohol. I mm-hmm. thought I, I thought I drank like everybody else. Yeah. And when I had to quit, but I did drink probably a lot and, you know, we'll, we'll get into it, but I mean, I definitely, there were, of course, looking back a lot of signs that I had mm-hmm. issues with alcohol, but I chose not to see those signs. 
And then when I got pregnant, I noticed that I didn't have a real problem not drinking. I think there was, it's something about the hormones for some people. Cause I also, I didn't, I did drink in my first pregnancy, but like my OB is back in the day that they were like, my OB was very specific. Like you can have two drinks a week. Yeah. Whatever you, you know, it, it, but you have, so I would go, okay, I'm going to have one glass of wine, you know, on a Tuesday, and then I'm going to have a glass of wine on a Saturday, but some weeks I wouldn't even have any. Yeah. With my twins, um, I was, I was sober at that time, but I also had no problem quitting. Yeah. I didn't have problems not drinking when I was pregnant and we'll talk about this, but I think that's also part of the fact, obviously everywhere you look, it's like, you know, don't drinking when you're pregnant is dangerous, right? Fetal, you go into the bathroom at a restaurant or bar, the sign is up there. And right. now looking back, I'm like, okay, so that's implying that drinking alcohol at any other point, as long as you're not pregnant, is not bad for you at all. But right. also, there is so much so- societal pressure to not drink when you're pregnant. Like if I was seven months pregnant and went out to a restaurant and ordered a glass of wine, people would look at me, you know? Oh yeah. You had to do that at home. Right. And I didn't really drink until my third trimester when I was sort of told like, oh, you can have half a glass of wine a week. And all my friends thought that too, but it was also like, I sought out that information. I was like, oh, okay, cool. But when you're not drinking the the entire pressure is flipped to if you don't drink, people are like, why aren't you drinking? People are very up in people's business about drinking or not drinking, as it turns out. Yeah. And most other things, right? Like how you parent, oh what, how much sleep you, I mean, whatever you're doing, somebody has an opinion about it. I've had to learn to just have a very thick skin. Well, especially when you have a baby, right? People will just come up unsolicited and give you parenting advice. Or if you're pregnant, they will just come up and touch your belly. And it's like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, you know, oh, yeah. no, I, I finally decided my husband and I decided that we would no longer judge anyone who had kids older than ours were. That was once we had a kid because we were like, we used to be like, oh my God, I can't get, believe they're giving them an iPad in a restaurant. And then we, our kids got to that age and we were like, have the damn iPad. You know what I mean? Of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't know anything about parenting. I read no parenting books. Uh, I read pregnancy books when I was pregnant because whatever, wherever I am, that's what I want to know about. Like, I'm not a person who's looking into the future. Like, what's that going to feel like, you know? So I did no pre-planning. When I was pregnant, I took a did I take a breastfeeding class? I think I didn't. I think I thought, well, that'll, that seems like a natural thing. Like you just, the baby sucks on your boob. Like how hard could it be? I don't need to take a class. That's ridiculous, you know? And I definitely didn't do anything regarding parenting until Mm -hmm. after I had a baby. And then every every moment is like an oh shit moment, right? It's like, oh, now I have a baby. Now what? What do they do? (laughs) What do you do with them? How do you keep them busy? I had oh a million questions so but not after I had the baby. Yeah. And so two things. One, I felt the same way. And I also like was definitely not a stand-up comedian, but was like, 
thinking I was really funny at all times. So I was always being like, you know, like mm-hmm. I went to the hospital or even before, you know, there are those moms who don't want to have an epidural and God bless you. Like Jesus Christ, I can't imagine. But like, I would go talk to my friends and I'd be like, I mean, I take recreational drugs. Why the hell wouldn't I take one, you know, right, when right. I'm like going through childbirth. So yeah, I thought I, I thought I was very funny, but I particularly joked about drinking and alcohol and stuff like that. Well, one thing I think is super interesting is you didn't read any parenting books, but then you wrote some, right? Because even though right. sippy cups are not for Chardonnay and Naptime is the New Happy Hour weren't per se parenting books, they were commenting on what everybody was going through. And like tongue-in-cheek giving advice kind of thing. Well, the reason for that is because I started writing that book when my older daughter was only a few months old. So what happened is I was home with this baby. I was going crazy. I had a lot of anxiety, which I didn't... I don't think I would have told you at the time it was anxiety. I think I just felt so uncomfortable that, is this forever? Like I'm home with a baby. She's you know not sleeping a lot. This was in the first like few months, day and night trying to figure out what to do with her. My husband had was working and yeah. I was very jealous that my husband got to continue having a job. And I was just feeling adrift. You know, I was like, what do I do? I'm not this person that enjoys just going to Target. Now I am. Don't worry. I love going to Target. But at the time I was like, I don't care about recipes or going to Target or all the things that I feel like new moms are supposed to care about. So yeah. One night I was like, how do, how can I connect with like my old life a little bit? And I'd heard of blogging. It was in the very early days. And I just decided, oh, well, maybe I can write something about this experience. And it was kind of a rant. I started this blog. It was so old school. It was blogspot.com. It was very simple to like set up because you weren't like buying a domain or anything. It was literally a blog, a service, right? Like Anything. I had I one of those too. <laughs> okay, cool. So you get it. So one night I had a couple glasses of wine and I just wrote this rant about how this was not for me. Like I felt like I bought it. I was in a cult already. And, you know, my daughter was young and I don't want to talk. I don't want to just go to Target. And it was because I'm a stand up, it was funny. You know, I wrote this funny thing. So then I was like, well, I, now I need somebody to read it. I didn't know how to get actual readers. So I sent it to my friend at the time. Uh, Chelsea Handler was a really good friend of mine. And she no had a book I mean, coming out. I mean, she's a comedian too, but... Yeah, we knew each other from stand-up. We were really good friends. She was she was honestly like one of my closest friends. She threw my older daughter's, uh, my first baby's uh, baby shower with mm-hmm. my other friends. So I sent it to her. Oh, and she and I had read each other's writing a lot because... Um, well, I'd read a lot of her writing. So she had a book that was not yet out yet. She'd just gotten a book deal. So she had an agent. And then I sent it to like my sister and a couple and my other friend. And, you know, so anyway, all of a sudden, I swear to God, the very next day I got a call and it was an agent and it was Chelsea's agent. And he was no way. like, I'm going to get you a book deal. And I thought it was a crank phone call. So I almost hung up on him I, because Chelsea was known for do, being doing little pranks. And I was like, who is this? Ch- who did-? And he was like, this is Chelsea's agent. And then he told me his name. And then I was like, oh. And he's like, do you- 
Have you written anything else? Basically, I had to just say, I was like, yeah, of course I've written other things. I had not. This was my first try at writing anything about parenting. Anyway, he said, don't put anything else online. Send it to me and I'm going to get you a deal. So I never did a proposal. So I get this book deal. But like six weeks later, I had a book deal. So before my daughter was even six months old, I started, I had a deal to write a parenting book. Now, I knew nothing about really about parenting. So all I could do was write about my experiences kind of as I was going through them. So I wrote a funny chapter about going to mommy and me. Some of these things I would do just to write about them. Yeah, yeah. But then I had to kind of write, the reason I was commenting on other aspects was because I hadn't gone through it. So like my my editor wanted me to write a chapter on um, potty training. I was like, I've got a six-month-old baby. I don't know what I'm going to say about potty training. So I just like would Google potty training and then I would just try to write funny about all that stuff. But yeah, um, my mom made sure to point out to me that um, we don't have a good relationship, but she made sure to point out to me that it was ridiculous that I had a deal to write a parenting book when I barely had any experience having a, being a parent. I, well, my mother would say that too. And she wouldn't totally be wrong, but I totally resonated with your books and loved them to the point that my son was like 12 weeks old and we joined Seattle has this like PEPS group. I think it's like parent early support program. And so what they did is they paired you with like six other couples who also had like six to 12 week olds or whatever. And there was one leader who maybe had a three-year-old and you met, you met every week for like, God knows how many weeks. And I went to the first one and it was in the evening and the woman with the three-year-old, I mean, very nice, but I swear to God, she, and I'm going to offend someone. She must've been a woman who like, Put the sign on the door that like do not ring the doorbell because the baby's sleeping. Yeah, which I was just like, I'm never going to be that mom. I was so judgy, and I went there and she literally served us goldfish and apple juice. And I was like, What the fuck is this? It's 7 p.m. I'm with a group of strangers. We have to sit here for an hour. And so they they put a piece of paper around like signing up for the next round. And mm-hmm. I signed, I am not a hoster. I signed up for the very first spot so that I could serve alcohol, so that I could show them what this should be like for right. the next couple of months of my life. I was like, oh, hell no. We're going to like have a bar. And, you know, it was crazy. So when I found your books, I was like, yes, you are my people. I'm going to take notes from you. And like, I gave it as a a baby shower present to all of my friends. Like I was seriously attached to your right. Well, the thing is, I, you know, I still defend, I, I defend that book. It's not that it was the attitude. It wasn't, I wasn't, you know, saying be drunk around your kids. It's just that it's what I thought was a funny, edgy attitude was drinking. Yeah. It's not that I was like, it's not, and I'm sure the same for you. It's not that I was really drinking so alcoholically at that time. It was just that it was my sense of humor and it's a, it was a way to connect mm-hmm. to my old life. And yeah. I think you probably felt the same. It was a way to go like, just because I had a baby doesn't mean that I'm just a mom. Like, 
Yeah. I don't want to be called Elby's mom. Like at every play group I go to, like, I'm still Stephanie. I'm still fun and funny. And like, yeah, I still have the same interests I had before I had a baby. I didn't yeah. change. Like I didn't have a lobotomy. That was kind of what the book was trying to say. I don't suddenly think it's a great idea to spend, you know, a thousand dollars on my kid's first birthday party. I was trying to say like, let's all slow down and stop being ridiculous. Like yeah. our whole being doesn't have to change. We don't have to just identify with mom shit. And that was yeah. what I was trying to say with that book. And I think that did resonate with a lot of people and I don't take it back. No. Well, you know what I think is interesting is I used to, I mean, it, and for a lot of women, I think it's true. Like drinking was part of my identity, but it was sort of a metaphor or a shorthand for like, I'm fun or yeah. I'm more than a mom. Or, yes. you know, I used to describe myself, I'd be like, oh, I'm married. I have two kids. I work in marketing. I'm a red wine girl. I live in Seattle. Like it was, it was part of who I was. And it also, when I stopped working, because I was a director in a company, like you said, my husband kept going to work and he would stop for like a latte on his way home. And I'd be so pissed because I'm like, what the actual fuck? I've been hey. here doing nothing but taking care of this screaming child for like 12 hours and you're stopping for a latte, you know, like, like somehow those 10 minutes were really gonna like make or break me because I was so desperate. How about when you're, when you're sitting on the couch with the baby and your husband gets up and goes to take a shower? Oh my and God. You're like, oh, that must, must be nice. That you and you're trapped and you're like, I need a glass of water. Like, are you kidding me? Separately, like, do they spend more time in the toilet more th than like ever before when they, mm -hmm. when you have a baby? And also, like, I swear to God, when I had babies, our lawn has never looked so good. Like the guy was out there with like the shoes with the, with the little things underneath the, so he could aerate the fucking lawn. I was like, mm -hmm. you're aerating the lawn. Like, this is ridiculous. But yeah. And I found that like. I had all these interests before I had my baby. I could like, you know, go to yoga and go kayaking and like go to Pilates. And I went to therapy and I had guitar lessons. I mean, I still drank, wow. but I had all these other things. And I had a baby and I was just rushing home from work to get to daycare pickup before it closed. And then you have the baby food and the bath and the bed. And so like drinking, I could multitask. You know, it was like the one fun thing that I could keep. Like you can play Legos with a glass of wine. I I agree with you. I agree with you. It, And I would say that it just wasn't a problem until it was. Yeah. And then for a lot of reasons, it was a problem for me. And then so, of course, in, in looking back, you know, it was, it alcohol was something that I turned to for self-medicating reasons and for relief and for fun and for all those things. And it, but it, it does get exacerbated when you are home with your kid and you don't have any other outlets. I can, I can see, I wonder if I ever would have drank really alcoholically if it wasn't for having a baby. I mean, I probably would have, because if I look back at how I drank and of course I'm not blaming having a kid, but I'm blaming, I'm not blaming anything, but I'm saying, I wonder if the way my habit became dangerous only came to the surface 
you know, once I was a parent. Yeah. Well, so tell us your story. Tell us how you went from writing Nap Time is the New Happy Hour to then, which I cannot believe you did, being so brave, to writing on your blog that you quit drinking like the Monday after the Friday you stopped. Is that right? In terms of. Uh, Yeah, it was a few days after. Well, what happened is I had been keeping up with my blog, even though I now had books coming out. So I was writing. And once I had twins, but I didn't have, my blog wasn't super successful. You know, some people think that I got this book deal off of having a blog. I didn't. I got the book deal because Chelsea Handler got me a book deal, basically. Uh, So I kept writing on the blog and people were reading it. And it was more for like a sense of community. It was more because, you know, it was that immediacy. I wasn't going out and doing stand up. So blogging was a way that I could express myself and then get immediate comments. And I was one of those, I lived for that kind of validation for people to go like, oh, I'm going through the same thing. And, you know, at this point, when I I started getting a few more readers when I had twins, because, you know, I was going crazy. And then my twin pregnancy was having some problems. So people were really following along. So once when my twins were, you know, newborns, because I quit drinking, they were 18 months. So suffice it to say that I I was very in touch with my readers. I was blogging quite a bit. Well, I don't know if I want to say even secretly, but I was definitely, I had tried to quit drinking when my older daughter was two and a half. I did quit drinking. And then I got pregnant with twins and I didn't get really any kind of proper help. I just was like, I had a bad night and I was like, I'm just not going to drink again. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to. When she was two and a half years old, was that right? When she was two and a half years old, I had a, I went trick-or-treating and I got drunk trick-or-treating. It's in, it's in the book. And it was funny because I was like, do I talk about that part in the book? Because it's not when I actually really quit drinking, but I really was committed to quitting drinking. I I got drunk with like some neighborhood friends and nobody else did. And it was one of those things where like, I couldn't remember what happened the next day. And I was like, this is awful. And I, this is not the parent I want to be. I do not want to have blackouts hanging out with my kid, you know, and embarrass myself in front of like other moms. And it, the whole thing was felt humiliating. We were on foot just trick-or-treating in the neighborhood, but I... I went to a couple of like recovery meetings. I was kind of serious, but not that serious. If you know anything about like, going, I didn't, I didn't do anything really yeah. about it except for kind of set my intention that I don't want to drink anymore. And then I got pregnant with twins and then I had twin, and then I didn't drink through that pregnancy. So when I had my twins, I was like, oh, well, I didn't drink for that whole pregnancy which was they came a little early, like one month early. So let's just say that was like eight months plus another like month or two before that. So like now I'm like, it's been almost a year and I didn't drink. So obviously I'm fine and I'm not an alcoholic. And thank God, because now I really need to drink because I got three, I got babies and a toddler basically. Yeah. So I'm blogging and I'm drinking. And if you know anything about alcoholism, which I think you do, it's progressive. When Mm -hmm. I started drinking again, 
I was off to the races. I was like, I went from, I'm just going to have like a beer to, I'm just going to have like two drinks. I'm just going to have a couple drinks a night. And then I started them trying to moderate. And then for those, I would say eight solid 18 months, it was me trying to manage and control my drinking. It was yeah. like, I don't want to have to quit drinking, but gosh, I'm really starting to feel dependent. And I was starting to feel like I couldn't take a night off. I was starting to realize that by five o'clock, I'm really rationalizing that I'm making a lot of promises. I don't want to, I'm not going to drink anymore. And then I'm doing it. And then I'm trying to drink only, only every other day, only on weekends, only on weekdays. I was doing all those games in my head and I was fighting it and fighting it and fighting it. So when, you know, what happened was I had reached a point where I was like, you know what? Trying to control my drinking is so aggravating and it's so hard and it's a losing battle. So rather than try this hard to control it, I'm just going to accept that I'm a person who enjoys a cocktail. Oh my God. I have seen that with like so many of my clients, but myself too, where they're like, I'm tired of thinking about drinking and maybe trying to control it is the problem. So therefore I'm just going to stop trying and therefore I won't think about it and be so obsessed with it. And therefore it'll be fine. Like the rationalizations. Yeah. I thought of it kind of like dieting where you're like, well, if you're on a diet, then you're thinking about food all the time and feeling deprived. So maybe the idea is just to like, let myself eat as much as I want. And, you know, and then I won't, whatever that was. Yeah. I was like, I'm just going to accept the fact that like, you know what? I'm just a fun person who likes a cocktail. And I like that cocktail like every night. And I'm just going to have a couple of drinks every night, but I'm just never going to do anything dangerous. I'm going to drink in the house. And, you know, so I had this real strong line in the sand. If I'm going to be somebody who drinks every night, I'm by God, I'm going to stay home every night. Yeah. Until I didn't stay home and I went out somewhere with my, with two of my kids and I was at like, everybody was drinking. I'm not trying to like judge other people right now at this point, because maybe other people can. And I, and many people do have a drink when they're out somewhere and are able to drive home. I just never had the off switch. So I never knew I was drunk. So that's very dangerous. So when I'm out somewhere and somebody's like, have a drink, and then I have that drink and I'm feeling relaxed and fun, and this is a good time, and I deserve to have a good time because like parenting is hard, and I'm out with two of my kids, and I've got an 18-month in tow and a three-year-old, a four-year-old, and we were having fun, and then I had another drink, and then I had another drink, and then I still thought I was fine, just having fun, just relaxed, and then I drove home. And then my husband was like, you're drunk. And then I was mad at him for how dare you? Like I was just out. I had a couple of drinks. My God, like nothing to see here. Leave me alone. Yeah. But when I woke up the next day with a brutal hangover and realized, oh my God, like it, I just had such a moment of clarity of like, this is what's happened. This is I could just kind of see it all. I could see the progression. I could see all the rationalization I was doing. And I was like, I'm going to rationalize my way into driving drunk again and having a car accident or God forbid, you know, 
killing somebody, whatever. I was like, this is really dangerous. So having made that decision that I knew was for good in my mind, you know, and then of course I had to do a lot of work to make sure that that decision was for good. But in my mind, I was like, I have to change and I can no longer be the person that was like drinking spot. Like for me, I'm not going to say other, what other people should do, but I had to be honest. If I wasn't going to be honest with myself, then all was going to be lost. I just knew I would go, I would revert. So I felt very strongly that if I'm going to continue to blog and I was known for being really honest about how hard it was, how hard parenting was and how, you know, the struggles that I had. So I thought there, there's no way that I can just write. It's a lie. That's how I felt. I felt like I was going to be lying by omission to not admit that I'd made this decision. Now, was I ready to like tell the world that I'd driven drunk? No, I was not. Cause that was, that was a bridge too far at that point. Yeah. I mean, it had been a few days, but I felt I owed it to my readers, many of whom I felt also relied on alcohol and also thought drinking what well, I had. I felt like I owed it to them to say, like, I can't, that I'm not going to drink anymore. Yeah. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. We're all busy, but one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash someday. When I was drinking, I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, a better way to find calm, rest, relief, and to reduce inflammation. Tanasi creates the highest quality, scientifically validated CBD and hemp extract products. Tanasi's formula includes a unique combination of CBD and CBDA in every dose, which is two times more effective than just CBD alone. So if you want to create a sense of calm, to calm your mind, to relax before bed for a great night of sleep, try Tanasi. Tanasi's being really generous with our listeners. You can go to Tanasi.com and use code HELLO to get 25% off at checkout right now. 
That's T-A-N-A-S-I dot com to get 25% off your first order with the promo code HELLO and get ready to sleep well. I think that's incredible. And I have to say that it made a huge impression on me, even though it took me, I don't know, three and a half years later till I stopped for the first time. And even four years after that till I stopped eight years ago. So I um, obviously had read all your books. I had loved them. I had gifted them. I was like bought in. And it was not your fault that I drank like that. Like I was on board way before. I just was like, oh, yes, this like she gets me. This is awesome. And also like, I'm not the only one like this is for real. Um, and get you. Yeah, I know. Right. I think there are a lot of women listening to this who are like, yep. But then, okay, my son was six months old. And I somehow found the book Drinking a Love Story by Carolyn Knapp. Oh, I just wrote I just wrote this thing where I mentioned that as like one of my favorite books. About yeah, alcohol. it was. And to the point where I was so I desperately didn't want my husband to know how worried I was about my drinking because first, I didn't want to stop. And second, I didn't want him watching me. Right. He knew I drank a ton. But I was just like, I don't want him to be my parent. And every time I open up a second bottle of wine on a Tuesday, like, what the fuck? And so um, I would read it on my Kindle. And then every time I finished reading it, I would open like five more books. So it would be pushed down in my queue in case he like randomly picked up my Kindle, which like is so paranoid and never would happen. And the from the first chapter, the first paragraph, she was talking. I mean, there's a woman with a red wine glass on the cover. I was a red wine girl. And like, it was like, I fell in love. And because, you know, this thing was going to bring me down, I had to stop. And so it was everything in there was so close to home for me. I like got out a word doc and like went to the office. My son's six months old and typed up this thing, titled it someone something else so no one could find it. I mean, I was ridiculous and was like, I think I have a problem with alcohol. This is bad. I need to stop. And then literally two days later, I came back to the word doc and over the top was like, just kidding. Nothing to see here. Like it was so messed up. Yeah, I relate. I mean, there were many, many times that I remember writing in a journal, like from years before, just like, oh my gosh, I'm so drunk. I wonder if I need to stop drinking. Like mm-hmm. lots of little clues. Yeah. But then in that same office, I think a year later, so it was already in the back of my head, like, this is not good. Even though I was giving away nap time is the new happy hour and fully rationalizing this and drinking with all my friends with their kids. And then I saw the article. I went down, got my cup of coffee in the coffee shop under my office and saw in the New York Times the story um, about you. And it was like heroin, a cocktail, mom cocktail. I should know that the title. Do you remember? Yeah, I forgot the too. Heroin of cocktail moms sobers up or something like that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
And yep, that's exactly it. And I bought the paper and was like, holy shit. Cause I knew you, I knew your books. I was like, right, bro. <laughs> like, honestly, that's what I thought. Like, oh, right. And then I went up to my office and I found the article online and I freaking po- like copied and pasted it into my Word doc. And then I drank for another four years, right? What happened? What was your bottom? Okay. The first time I had two times, the first time I was really worried about, I was angry and I was upset and I was like, felt resentful, even though I had this really good life and this adorable son and I just felt overwhelmed and I was mad at my husband. I felt like he was like, you know would rather spend time with other people than me and go out with other friends, which of course, like I was like passed out on the couch every night. I'm like, what the hell? Why doesn't he want to spend time with me? And I um, got in a fight with my husband, which I don't remember what it was about. And we were not fighters. And I somehow went to sleep with my five-year-old because I didn't want to sleep in the bed with my husband and passed out. And I woke up this is a weekday. And my husband was standing over me and looked so sad and brought me a cup of coffee and was like, I I don't understand what's happening with us. I told you that I wouldn't do whatever it was he was doing the night before. And I didn't even remember what the fight was about. Like whatever he told me he was going to stop doing, I had no recollection. And I was just like, oh shit. So I got a therapist. I looked it up. I very specifically chose one that specialized in addiction and anxiety. And then I went in there and was like, oh my God, my husband, my job, my kid, my boss, I need help with my anxiety and overwhelm. And by the way, I drink a bottle of wine a night. And he immediately was like, let's talk about your drinking. And I was like, no, let's talk about my boss. But he was sober. He had been in a 12-step program. And so he encouraged me to go to one. And then I freaking found the BFB. Like I was following your blog, um, which is the Booze Free Brigade, which is the group you started, right? I I read Don't Get Drunk Friday. Yeah. Tell me about this. Oh, just that. um, So I was still, I was blogging now all the time about not drinking now. And my husband was like, you got to be careful. Like you, you're all you talk about now is being is sobriety. Like it's might get on people's nerves. Well, I don't know if he said it like that, but he was like, you know, you're going to, you're like rebranding yourself as like the sober person, which I was like, you know what, maybe you're right. So I decided I'm going to make, I'm just going to on Fridays, every Friday, I'll, I'll talk about alcoholism or my drinking or not drinking. And then I started getting friends to be guest bloggers on my site and tell their story. And I called it Don't Get Drunk Friday. One of those friends, my friend Jane, and I were like, all these people are trying to talk to each other in the comments of the Don't Get Drunk Friday blog. So this was like early days of kind of message boards and stuff. And we were like, we should start a message board, a Yahoo message board where people can go join it and then talk to each other. I started when the Yahoo message board was going. Yeah. So we just, we started that together and we both, and we both were like letting people in or whatever. And that went on for a few years and people found each other. 
And then somebody started it on Facebook. Somebody made a Facebook group of that group and everybody, you know, because Facebook started like around, I mean, I joined in 09. Yeah. So it was still early days. But anyway, somebody made it a Facebook group and it still exists. I think there's- Oh, I'm in it. I am still in it. I told them that I was interviewing you and I cut and pasted something I found in the Toronto Star about how the group, I mean, it is thriving um, still. And I cut and pasted about like the origins of the BFB or like that you had started it. And all these people were like, oh my God, I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, cause it was so many years ago. Yeah. I, I think I, we started that group started like in my first year of, mm-hmm. I mean, hadn't been sober that long. It's amazing. It is still like one of my favorite places on the internet. The people there are so kind. Um, I think there's like 2,500 people in there right now. And so thank you. You should pop in. I'm going to share this episode there. I will. So you, okay. So you join that group or you go on the Yahoo group, Yeah. but this is only your first try at sobriety, right? Yes. Yeah. So I went on, I was in the Yahoo group and then pretty soon thereafter, it became the Facebook group, which was helpful because it was so hard to follow the Yahoo group. It was just, there's so many posts and email. I got them all on email. So I joined Facebook and I remember sitting in um, my office and being so terrified it was going to somehow show up on my public page, right? Uh, With my bosses and my mother and my coworkers. And I put a picture of me and my five-year-old son. He was this little redhead on there. And I just was like, I'm X years old. I have a five-year-old. I live here. I work here. And I'm terrified that I drink too much. I drink a bottle of wine a night. I'm like hung over every day. I keep trying to moderate. I don't want to stop drinking. And like posted it, freaked out, like went to my public page and like refreshed 17 times to make sure it wasn't there. And then had to go to a meeting. And I came back. And there were like 28 comments from people who were like, I'm just like you. It's going to be okay. I was a white wine girl. Like, I know how you feel. Your son is beautiful. And I like started crying. I was just, oh my God, you know? Yeah. And then what happened? (laughs) And then I went to my therapist and he encouraged me to go to a 12-step program. And I really didn't want to. But I was sort of like, ah, bucket list, never thought I'd do this, you know, uh, uh-huh. trying to make a joke of it all. And I f- found a woman on the BFB who lived in Seattle and was a lawyer and was my age. And she was four months sober and was like, I'll take you. And so I went to my first 12-step meeting and it was a little weird. Like there was an older, I mean, it was nice, but there was like an older woman with like little guns on her glasses, like who kept getting up and walking around. I was like, uh, and you know, they gave me a book and like, I, I of course cried. Cause like what was happening in my life. And I was glad I had my friend there, but like, and so I went for about four months. Um, I went to mostly women's big book study meetings, which I wonder if that was a bad idea because I am not religious. Mm-hmm. And the God stuff, like there's a lot of God in the first 12 steps. And 
I got a sponsor and she told me to get on my knees and pray that my obsession was lifted every day. And I'm like, oh, holy shit. No. You know, you know, I, I'm sober 14 years, very involved in my 12 step groups. I'm still not into the God stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I know everybody's like, it's spiritual. I'm like, really? It's written like God. You know, I um, think it was religious at the when they when was. they started it. And now they've, of course, loose, they try to loosen it up so that it's more inclusive. But yeah. I know tons of like atheists. Yeah. No, I know. It's I know. like you, you, one thing I love about 12 step is like, there really are no rules. There's people that want to pretend there's rules and like want to tell you what to do, but there's, there's no, like no one's, you don't check in, like, unless you're court ordered, you don't, you know what I mean? It's like, it's kind of whatever you want to make of it. Yeah. I, I look, I look at it as support. Yes. And maybe yeah. accountability. And I was glad, I was glad it was there. So I have to say this was almost 11 years ago. And mm-hmm. there really was, as far as I could tell, not a lot else out there, like, or at least not a lot. Of, I mean, I had the BFB and then I didn't know of much else. And so now the second time I quit drinking eight years ago, like the world had somewhat exploded by that time. Like more people had written blogs and books. There were sober coaches. I did oh, Hollywood. So- can I, I don't want to yeah. uh, interrupt you, but I need to interview you, but uh, you already did. But when you made the decision to go back to it, so that was like, you had another three years. So, okay, here's and what happened. It's so much like your story. So I did it for four months. Then I got a full-time job again and it was a big commute. And I was like, oh, I don't need this anymore. Cause I'm sober. And my boss, who I'd known for years and had worked with, was in AA, and she had been sober for like 15 years at my new job. And so I was like, oh, I got this. I got accountability. You know, my boss is sober. She knows I'm sober. I talked to her about it. And so, and then I got pregnant. And I didn't drink for a year. I mean, it's so similar. I didn't drink for a year because I was pregnant. And I got to the end of it. And by the way, the whole time I was trying to do this like slow shuffle back from like, maybe I overreacted, you know, like I don't really have a pro. It was so then I felt that it's so relatable. Yeah. Oh, my God. Right. And I mean, when you're talking, I was like, oh, shit, this is me. And so I got to the end of the year. And of course, I was like, my marriage is better. My anxiety is better. My life's better. I'm happier. I'm less stressed at work. In no way associating all of that with the fact I was no longer drinking. I was like, magic. it was situational that I was drinking too much and now I'm better. And so like two weeks after I had my daughter, I was like, went out to drink, you know, dinner with my husband. I was like, I'll just have a drink on a date night. I had one. I immediately wanted two. So I had another, but then I was like, whoa, that's it. And then like maybe two weeks later, I was like, oh, it's a Friday night. Why don't you pick up a bottle of wine to come home? Within a month, I was back to a bottle of wine or a couple glasses every night. Mm-hmm. And very quickly, I went back to a bottle of wine a night or more. The whole time I knew it was a trouble. Like the, I was still on the BFB, but I didn't post because I was so embarrassed. Um, I would go to the grocery store and because I'd been to local AAs, 
I'd buy my like six pack of wine because you get the 10% discount. So it's like, just makes sense. You know, I'm, I'm putting it in quotes and being sarcastic since no one can see me. You're being smart. Right. And then I would go in the line and I would literally lie the bottles of wine at the bottom of my cart, put my fucking bags over it and then check behind me who was getting in line in case someone from AA. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. Yeah. So I drank till my daughter was 22 months old and I finally stopped again. But the reason I stopped the second time was like death of a thousand cuts. Like my anxiety was off the charts. I tried to moderate and I couldn't. I woke up with horrible hangovers. I was passing out on the couch. And like, once you stop drinking for a while, the whole time I was like, I knew I was like, my drinking's unsustainable. This is not situational. It's the fucking alcohol. And I'm going to have to stop. It was just a question of when, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So what did you do? Did you go back to a meeting? I hired a sober coach. I did. Um, I found, which I'm a sober coach now. Um, I found this woman, Belle. She was had this blog called Tired of Thinking About Drinking. She lived in Paris and she had a 100-day challenge. So the idea was don't drink for 100 days. And if you sign up with her in her program, you got a sober pen pal for a year. And I freaking was a gold star girl. I wrote her five times a week for like two years straight. Uh-huh. And I was in the BFB. I posted again on day five. I was so embarrassed because I they knew I had a year and was like all rah, rah. And then I like went radio silent for two years. and. I was like, ooh, I'm on day five. And like, of course, they welcomed me back with like so much love. And I posted their freaking daily for like, they had this 30, 60, 90 day challenge. I was there day 40, you know, day 442. I was like ridiculous. But that's how I stopped. And I just kept going. Yeah. when When I first got sober, like for real, for real, for real. Uh, 14 years ago, I, uh, yeah, every day I counted days. I mean, I was so sad when I almost hit a year. Cause I was like, well, now what, what happens when it it's a year? Then I don't, then I don't get all the claps and, and like, yeah. you know, accolades for another whole year. Like, yeah. because with the beginning, when you're in a 12 step program, you're like 30 days Be- yeah. in when you're first 30 days, you're a newcomer. So you can constantly raise your hand and say you're new and people are like, you you know, you're just noticeable and people come over to you and they offer your phone, their phone number. And they, you know, they like attack you. They, they, because sober people love to help other sober people. Oh yeah. Included. I get super excited when somebody's new, you know, and that's how we stay sober is we help another person stay sober. So, you know, I didn't really understand that at the beginning. I was just like, wow, these people really, want me to stay sober, you know? <laughs> so I thought, oh, every day, every, so the first 30 days, then you get your next 30, then you have 60 days and you get to raise your hand for that and come up and get a chip. And then you have 90 days and people are like going crazy for you. You know, I thrive on that kind of thing. Oh yeah. Like, like positive accolades. reinforcement and yes. like attention. And yeah, I know. I like likes on my Facebook posts. I like claps for my sobriety days. Like I'll, I'll I eat it up, you know. So then, uh, you get like six months. Then you get nine months, and that's what I'm saying. Is then I was like, oh no, 
Like I get, I'm going to have this birthday and people are going to be so happy for me, but then what's going to happen between year one and year two? Yeah. You're like 16 months and everybody's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So luckily I had a lot of like friends by then I had, you know, my, we call it, I called it my posse and I had a bunch of girls and we were all, you know, doing the deal together. And that really helped. You know, I had my regular meetings and my go to Fat Burger after my meeting and hang with my girls. And like life started happening and, you know, things started to feel better. And, but I always stayed close. You know, I'm not, I didn't, I definitely didn't do it perfectly at the beginning. I, I, you know, I did it perfectly. I didn't drink, but there were a a lot of times, you know, I don't want to make it seem like, like looking back, there were still those thoughts. I had a lot of that, like, feeling sorry for myself. And maybe this was a mistake and comparing my story to other people's stories. And like, God, like, okay, yes, I drove drunk. Like, I know that's terrible, but like, look at this guy just had four DUIs. Like, yeah, of course he's here, but how do I don't fit in here? Like, I'm like a responsible mom. Like, yeah. Or being like, well, that was just bad luck. Or I mean, in your book, you, and you didn't rationalize it to your husband at all, but you were like, well, I didn't eat anything and maybe X and maybe Y. And like, she was pouring too many of the, of the martinis or, I mean, yeah, a million times. Your brain wants to protect yourself and your drinking. And your ego. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, so, okay. I'm jumping ahead because I know your story so well, but will you tell people about like, the New York Times and Katie Couric and like so, okay, all this so, stuff. Right. So I so that I make that blog post. This is just about why I started having all these things happen at the beginning, which is crazy. So I have this blog post. Well, this t- New York Times parenting columnist named Lisa Belkin wrote an article about me somehow she saw that. So my blog was right. It, this might sound like not a small amount of people, but I I only had like maybe 500 people reading my blog. It was not even thousands. It was a a small readership, but out of, I I don't know how she found it, but this parenting writer who had a parenting column called the mother load. Well, she might've been on your blog, right? Was she following you? Possibly. I didn't recognize her name. So what happened is I, I was it was like 10 days. Now I was like sober 10 days and I had done, it doesn't really matter. All of a sudden I started getting these calls and these emails asking me to do TV appearances. And I was like, what? Like, how do people know that I stopped drinking? It's been 10 days. So I got a call. Now I had been on the Dr. Phil show before. So a Dr. Phil producer had gotten a hold of me and I was like, I don't understand what's happening. How are these people fight? How do these people know? So I Googled myself and I found out that there was a column in the New York Times, not the article that you read, but uh, just somebody wrote a column without consulting me, without saying I'm writing about you quitting drinking. It kind of, it sucked. And I still- Is that uncool? I mean, I'm not in the media. Like that's not okay. I don't think it's cool. Because usually they'd ask you to comment, right? 
you would think she would have reached out to me and been like, wow, this is really interesting. You decided to quit drinking. I'd like to make a column about it. Do you want to comment? Right. You, and you would have been like, no, please don't do that. I absolutely would have said, please don't, even though, I mean, she basically outed me, even though you could say I outed myself, but I didn't It's like telling your girlfriends or something, right. Or like, I don't know what. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. So I felt very embarrassed. I felt like now all of these strangers know this about me. And also the comments were horrendous, like on her column. Like once I found the column and read it and was just like, and she excerpted my blog. So yes, I, I I tell, I have a whole chapter in my book and I call it outed that tells this story. But basically she used my words in her blog, which I was like, it's kind of lazy. But anyway, um, and all these people were like, oh, this woman never should have had kids. Like, she's horrible. Mind you, I hadn't even admitted the part about driving drunk. Yeah. So th- these were people that were just mad that I said that I had a drinking problem and I drink too much and I'm quitting and I quit. Oh my gosh. Can we talk about perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause for a minute? I am 48. So if you're going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep. It is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head on. And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Women cannot stop raving about it on social media, but the biggest benefit is the simplest, feeling like yourself again. So if you're going through this, like I'm going through this, for a limited time, you can get 15% off your first order at happymammoth.com with promo code HELLO. That's happy, M-A-M-M-O-T-H.com. And use promo code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Yeah. I was like, it was appalling. You're mad I stopped. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it's so important to tell people who get it. Like in the BFB. Because like, they don't judge you for being the worst mom ever. They're just like, yeah. Of course, you got addicted to this addictive substance. And you were so fucking brave. To like right. look at that and try to stop. And so people most people are like so judgy. So judgy. And most of those people were not of the, you're so brave. There were a few of those, oh, yeah. but a lot of them, but this is just the internet. It's toxic, you know? So yeah. I kind of go into not hiding, but like, I'm like, do I don't respond to any. That's how all these media people found it. Cause it was in the New York times. So that's why I was getting all these calls. So I refused. I was like, absolutely not. I've been sober 10 days. I have nothing to share with anybody. But the New York Times reached out to my book publishing company, a different, like an actual New York Times writer. And she told them, I want to do an interview with her. And I will make sure that it's like 
fit, like a balance. I just wanted to, I want to give her a chance to tell her story. And this was now I'd been sober like four months. So I just thought, you know, I'm already outed. I might as well be able to say my side on a, a bigger platform. You know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah. want to just be what somebody else's interpretation. So I was like, okay, I'll be interviewed. So she interviewed me. And I didn't, at the time, I was like making, I was still trying to be funny. Like it was a serious interview, but at the very end of it, I was like, hey, but like I could still, I made a joke about, but Vicodin is still like, and I, of course I wasn't taking Vicodin. I would thought I was being funny. I was sober four months. I didn't know that you can't make a joke about that. And so people were like, oh my God, she's probably going to be popping pills. And I was like, oh my Lord, whatever. But I did get a bunch of emails or like Facebook messages from women. And I was like, oh, like, and I did not go like, oh, let me help you. I was just like, yeah, I get it. I feel for you. I'm right there with you. Like, it's hard. But you know, So then after that, I got people reached out like I did Dr. Oz and I did a couple of TV appearances. Then when I was nine months sober, I got asked to do um, 2020 and I was interviewed by Elizabeth Vargas. So each of these things, so many women were reaching out to me and saying, thank you for sharing your story and, and relating. And I felt like, I felt not like it wasn't that I enjoyed the attention at all. Cause I didn't, you know, it's like negative attention in a way, right. You're getting yeah. attention for something you feel humiliated about. Yeah. But I also knew that I was helping people you and were. much of the way that I felt like telling the truth, my truth about having a baby and that I didn't fall in love at first sight and that I didn't, you know, care about my baby's first birthday that much. And all these things that I was admitting that other women were like, oh my God, thank God. Cause I thought I was the only one. I was yeah. like, well, maybe, maybe me feeling humiliated is a small price to pay for women to see themselves. Cause there, at the time I, there was no, it was not, there was no like sober zeitgeist at the time. It was yeah. still like very secretive and kind of a, ta- a weird thing that I was saying. The rose all day was still going very strong at the beginning. It's still going strong. I work out with women and they're wearing rose all day t-shirts and I'm a little bit like ew but yeah I don't say that because I used to have those I mean I didn't own that one but I would have you know right 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 I mean it was an odd thing because you know I wasn't telling people that I drove drunk because I had a lot of excuses for that in my head it was like well if I say that and you're not required to tell everyone I'm not and not required it's my personal story. Yeah. Also, in my mind, I was like, well, I'm not required. It's not lying. I'm still, I, I'm telling a lot of things. I'm just omitting that one thing. In my mind, I was like, women are going to hear that and they're going to be like, well, I would never do that. So therefore, I must oh, not yeah. have a problem. That was my rationalization. So cut to four years later, uh, I get, I hadn't done much. I, I had kind of long since stopped doing TV appearances about quitting drinking. But I got asked to do Katie Couric's talk show. And at first I said no. And I was like, I just don't want to keep being known for this. But they were like, listen, you know, we're going to have on 
we just want to talk about the mommy drinking culture. And I was like, okay, but you're not going to get what you think you want out of it because I'm not like trying to reinstate prohibition. Like I, I believe that many women, including moms, don't drink alcoholically and that's great for them and they should be able to drink. Like, let's stop judging everything people are doing. And, you know, and I still believed that the drinking, the mommy drinking stuff is also like how I wrote about it, like kind of a us being rebellious and going like, we're still fun and we're still funny. And I don't believe that every woman that wears a rosé all day t-shirt is drinking rosé all day. No, I don't either. Although I feel like all those jokes encourage binge drinking, you know, like some of the stuff that like, you know, you see stuff that like dish towels that are like, I'm not slurring, I'm speaking in cursive, you know, and I'm just kind of like, ew. (laughs) Yeah. But when what I kind of came to realize too is that a lot of women that are like making all these drinking jokes are kind of like I was, except minus the drinking problem. Because I would be around these women that are like, let's grab a bottle of wine before the this is when I was sober. A lot of moms at like like my kids' elementary school, they talked a good game about how much they all loved wine. And then they would have like a half a glass of wine and be like, Oh, I'm good. I have to, you know, drive. And I was like, everybody's so responsible. Like, you know, so my, I guess my point is like, do I think it's great that we advertise alcohol as a solution to new moms, genuine anxiety and lack of support? No. Like, would it be better if we encouraged women to find actual support or we helped women or we were each other's village? Sure. But I also don't necessarily think that like we're not allowed to make jokes about drinking. So mm-hmm. my position was I haven't done a 180 and I'm not going to sit there and judge women who have a glass of wine. I'm, But I am willing to tell my story. And you're also not judging women who struggle with alcohol, right? That's the great thing. Of course. You, you get it and you understand it. And you understand how it happens and you don't think they're the worst people in the world the way like the judgment is the issue in addition to a bunch of other stuff, you know? Right. Yeah. So, so in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'll just do, I'll do this show. But I told them straight up, I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to sit there and say, don't try to pit me against somebody. Yeah. Because they were going to have this woman who had a Facebook group called like, I forgot at the, now, but it was like, mommy needs wine or something, you know? And I was like, I'm not going to, oh, that's fine, but I'm not going to, I'm not your girl if you think that's what I'm going to do. And they were like, no, 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 that's fine. You just tell your story. Well, I had done this, like a, I had done this show called Listen to Your Mother. And I had told the story about driving drunk. And it was the only time I'd ever sort of publicly, told that story. Well, I didn't know. I genuinely didn't know that they had recorded it and it was on YouTube. So I get this call from a producer like a couple of nights before I was flying out to New York to do the show. And the producer's like, hey, we found this thing. And she tells me what it is. And like my heart dropped. And she was like, where you told this story about drinking and driving. And Katie wants to ask you about it. And I was like, oh, absolutely not. 
No. And she was like, I really, she really thinks it's going to help people. And, you know, I mean, and you did, you know, it is on YouTube. And I was like, well, I didn't know it was, and I don't feel comfortable talking about that on national television. And no, I'm not going to talk about it. And I said, now I'd, I'd done a lot of TV at this point. So I was not like, I'm not trying to like brag, but I'm saying I wasn't like impressed that I was going on Katie Cork. I was only like half into it anyway. So I was like, if, if, if that's, what's going to happen, I would rather, I don't, I'm not coming. And she was like, so she was like, no, 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 no. We please come. Like, we won't ask you about it. Well, then Katie asked me about it and I w I felt sabotaged. It was terrible. It was a horrible feeling, but I was like, what am I, what? I'm not going to lie. Like, yeah. I'm not going to, I, so it was a, a very uncomfortable moment and I felt, you know, all the feelings of just, I felt exposed and scared and embarrassed. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, I did that. And then I said, and then I, that was my moment and I haven't had a drink since, which was true. And I had been like, like four years at that point. Yeah. And I felt I was so mad afterwards, Casey. I was like freaking out. I was really pissed. And my publicist was there because I was doing a show at the time I was on a TV show. And my the publicist for the TV show, it was a show for for um parents, for moms. It was on Nickelodeon, Nick at Night. Yeah. And I the publicist didn't really understand what had just happened. And she wasn't even upset. Like I was like, that wasn't supposed to happen. And I wasn't going to say that. And she was like, eh, whatever, it's fine. I felt like, oh my God, I'm going to get kicked off this TV show, you know, yeah. but like nothing bad happened basically. And what I thought was going to be just, I don't know what I thought. I thought I was going to get the TV show taken away. I thought parent, you know, people were going to just be judging so harshly. But what I got was a bunch of moms again going, oh my God, I, I relate to your story. Really? I think I have a problem too. And that was a very, ended up in retrospect being very freeing. Hmm. Because you weren't now the this out there. story, you were terrified that people like you would be found out kind of thing. I felt like I had a secret. Yeah. But you and still got to be pissed, right? Like I, oh, I, I was, was pissed. Katie Cork sucks. She really yes. sucks. Like, I mean, right? she that told sucks. I didn't want to talk about that. And she was like exposing me and it wasn't, you know what I mean? Like why? Yeah. Yeah. What's the reason for that? So did you, cause of course I don't re, re, like, I know a ton of your story and I've followed it and I didn't know about the Katie Couric thing. Did you have any hesitation about putting that in this book in drunkish? And cause you're obviously doing a lot of press for it. Like, did you want to bring that up again? And you know, all that crap. Cause it's in your intro, right? When I was reading it, I was like, oh, okay. I mean, in your bio, right? For the book. Well, the thing is, I feel like it's all my story is there's like a progression to the quitting drinking. Yeah. You know, the book is basically, I made it into kind of two parts. So it's, you know, what happened 
what it was like and my childhood and all these things that I think people can see the writing on the wall, the addiction, the food addiction, starting with, you know, feeling obsessed with sugar, like yeah. all the, all the ways that I couldn't see until later that I could look back and go, Oh, look, I had a father, a biological father who was a pill addict his whole life. I had issues with food from a really young age, like all of these things. I could go back because I think when people write books, when they've only been sober a couple of years, it's a little yeah. tougher, but I had a lot of sobriety yeah. under my belt. A lot I mean, of 14 looking. years, right? Like right. by a the lot time of the booking, book. Yeah. I mean, by the time the book comes out, I'll be almost 15 years sober. So I've had a long time of doing the work of looking at my life and looking at the things that have happened that I could... I could look back and see all that. So once I got sober, the next part of the book I felt was unraveling that shame and embarrassment and getting to like the freedom, right? Yeah. So part of that I felt was how I got outed and how different ways that I had accountability and different ways that like, and that was part, I felt like that was part of, for lack of a better word, the journey in sobriety. Mm -hmm. It's like, holding on to that secret and thinking like, well, if only people don't know about this part of it, I'll be safe. And then having people find out that part of it, I felt like was a big moment where my sobriety opened up even a little bit more because I had less, yeah. I was less hiding. Well, and you have this big secret and you, it's out there and then the world doesn't end, you know, and that's a relief, right? It was a relief. And I didn't, I don't think I did many other appearances or talked about it that much, but, you know, years went by and, you know, there's a lot of like 12 step stuff in the book, but part of that is not really that I'm promoting being in a 12 step program. It's that some of the work of the 12 steps help, like helps me. Some of those tools, like apologizing, like learning to see my part. Yeah. It's so important to my sobriety. And that like, regardless of whether you're doing that work in a 12 step program, like that to me, the book is like, yeah. like looking like the last chapter, which I call sorry about your bachelorette party. And this is, you know, was apologizing to this friend of mine who I like fucked up her bachelorette party. But for years I held on to like, oh my God, what, what's the big deal? Like, <laughs> it would be ridiculous if she was mad about this. And I got drunk and like left her the dinner with like a married guy. I mean, my behavior was bad. It was yeah. bad. But for so long, I was defiant and like defensive yeah. of ways that I acted. And like, that was a fluke. And here's all the reasons for that. And he was separated and he was... You know what I mean? And like, it's not, it wasn't until getting sober that I realized like part of the, part of staying sober for me had to be like just taking responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Oh my so, God. At my sister's like wedding, I was super young and I'd just broken up with my boyfriend and then I got Bell's palsy, which if anyone doesn't know that, I was like, 25 in theory it's stress related but also just like you get a sinus in fact like half of my face was 
paralyzed. I look like Mary Jo Buttafuoco, you know, if nobody knows her. You know. I do. And that joke I was landed like, me. holy shit, if I knew I was going to get Bell's palsy, I wouldn't have been so quick to break up with my college boyfriend. Like, what the hell? And so then I I was the maid, maid, maid of honor in my sister's wedding. And I was way too young to be that she should have chosen her best friend or something. And um, I brought my two best friends because I had no date. And I freaking got so dr- I mean, I looked horrible in the pictures. Half my face was paralyzed. Like it was humiliating. And so I got so drunk that I like jumped up on the stage to like give a toast, was going to hug her afterwards, like trip, slid across the dance floor on my knees, and then tried to like pop up and play it off like I meant to do it. And then at the end of the night, I like was trying to convince my best friends to like go swimming in the river by where she was getting married. And they were like, you're going to fucking die. Like that river is found. Like, come on. We could do it. I woke up the next morning, like so hungover, didn't remember a decent part of it. You know, when people tell you, like, I didn't remember wanting to swim in the river. And like my whole family was there, like my grandparents, my great uncles. Like I was just like, holy shit. (laughs) You know, and then I was like, well, my boyfriend broke up or I broke up with him and I have Bell's palsy and like, right, right. Wedding. Why are these people so uptight? It was beyond inappropriate. Was your sister mad? Oh, yeah. Who wouldn't be mad? Like, what the fuck, right? And, like, I also planned the worst bachelorette party ever. I decided to take her to a strip club, and I didn't realize it was a gay strip club for men. Like, I just should not. I mean, you nobody should pick a 25-year-old to be your maid of honor in a wedding. Like, it's, you have no idea. Yeah, it was terrible. Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it, or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around group meetings, or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a a one-day-at-a-time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy. You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time, and I would love to see you in the course.
Oh my God. That is so funny and relatable. Yeah. As it's well, a, is it relatable? Do a well, lot of people try to go swimming in a river? <laughs> people, well, people that end up sober, a lot of us have these kind of stories. Isn't that the, I love um, sober people because they have the best stories. Right. I always say like, I don't necessarily like people that just don't drink because they just never really like the taste of alcohol. Like I, if you don't drink, it should be because you've drank way too much. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I know. Like I have friends who like, I, I'm always like, did you drink? Cause you seem so like responsible. And they're like, oh my God, I met this musician who was famous back in the day. And we went to Paris for two months and I'm like, really? You know? <laughs> right. Incredible. Well, so what's next for you? You wrote this book and you're, by the way, you're going to help so many people and you helped me and Carolyn Knapp helped me like that. Those books are so brave and you don't know that like a decade later, someone's hiding this book on their Kindle being like, holy shit for the first time, you know? Well, you know, the book that helped me even though I read it way, but well, Carolyn Knapp's book, but also Augustine Burroughs' book, Dry. Yes, was love that book. One of the first books I read about alcoholism that was so laugh out loud funny to me, well, you know, that I could relate to, that I was like, oh my God, I have thought that way, even though I was nowhere near getting sober. I just thought he was a hilarious writer. And I have revisited that book so many, many times. And now I just see how much I relate to it. But yeah, that was a book that helped me when I got sober. I reread the book from cover to cover. And yeah, I mean, that's what I'm that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that this book is something that helps people. I'm hoping that my honesty, while embarrassing, because there are so many, I mean, I, you know, I teach, I teach memoir writing is one of the main things that I do. And I feel like if you're not making yourself uncomfortable and exposing things about yourself, then you're not doing your job writing a memoir. So I always have to just forget that anybody's going to read it and like tell the secrets. So I'm hoping that me humiliating myself a bit in this book and telling some things that like are not like really proper (laughs) to talk about or tell helps people. I mean, that's it will help people who've done that or done something similar or feel like they're heading that way and being like, oh, she was there and it's okay. And she got out of it and she's happier now. And like, you know, and I I wanted to also though, talk about the real way that my brain worked after I quit drinking, because I'd never want to give the impression that I was immediately like, well, best decision of my life. I feel great now. Like no problem, nothing to see here. Like, no, it was a process and it was miserable at times and it was hard. And I want people to understand that if they're newly sober, they're trying to do this and they have anxiety, like so did I, you know, because a lot of times at the beginning of my sobriety, I thought everybody else was doing sobriety better than me, you know, that like, and that's a, that's a, like a recurrent theme with me. It's like when I was a new parent, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Everybody's doing it better than me. People yeah. are judging me. And I felt that way. You know, I, I always feel that way. I feel that way about writing. I'm like, oh, I'm not a great writer. Like other people are so much better. I felt better. that way when I became like a coach, I became a life coach. And then I decided to work with women in sobriety and went back to, you know, 
get that expertise. But I also, when I started a podcast, like even on the BFB, I was like, what are people going to think who've been sober longer than me? Like, who the hell am I to yeah. like start that? You know, like that is so normal, I think. I feel that way about a lot of like old timers, people that have been sober like 30 years. They're probably going to think it's very annoying that I'm writing a book. But all I can do is write about my experience. I'm not trying to teach anybody anything in this book. It's that's why I told my publisher, I would like to write it as a memoir, sort of like I wrote um, Sippy Cups, you know, about my experience. It's not going to, it's an anti-advice book. I'm not telling anybody what to do. This is like my, what happened to me and how I felt. And if you can relate to the feelings and feel less alone, then I've done my, then I've done well, what I said. People to do. will relate to the, your feelings. And I think just my two cents on the old timer, because trust me, I felt I feel that too. And I'm like, uh, who's going to, you know, but I always tell people it is sometimes way more helpful to someone in early sobriety to hear from someone at four months or six months or even two months than it is to hear from me at eight years. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're fucking happy. I get it. You know yeah. what I mean? But if someone's like, I'm at 40 days and yeah. like, it completely fucking sucked, but here's the one thing that I'm really proud of, then that's more relatable to them because it's more achievable. I agree. In fact, when I go to meetings, I like to I like to be around people that are brand new. I don't want I don't I don't get anything from people that have been sober a million years that are just quoting the big book and you know, all about the gratitude. Who cares? Yeah. I want to hear from somebody. And they tell the like, same stories all won. the fucking time, right? Yes. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard your story. No, I'm terrible. Yeah, but it's, you know what? It's helpful to hear. It's helpful to go like, oh my gosh, that was me not that long ago, it feels like. People that are struggling, you know? Well, two more things I wanted to mention because I've kept you way, way, way too long. That's but okay. I love, love talking to you. Okay, Elizabeth Vargas interviewed you before she admitted she mm-hmm. was struggling with drinking and before she went to rehab. By the way, she has a fantastic book um, between breaths about anxiety but and drinking. But how was that? Did you know what I mean? So, yeah. I mean, I, I believe the timeline, though, was like, I think it was two years after I was on her show that she came out as an alcoholic. And I was like, wow. Because she was such a great interviewer to me. She was so locked in and interested. And part of me was like, is she really, really good journalist or is she way too interested in this topic? You know? And it was only when she came out as an alcoholic that I was like, oh, okay. She was soaking up stories. She was from reading her book, really, really struggling at that point, you know? Yeah, yeah. She was. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and then she, and then she relapsed and then she went back to rehab. And I I felt I felt terrible. Yeah. But I bet you helped her just by having your story out there and having her interview you. You know what I mean? So the author Mary Carr, who wrote yes. the book Lit, who who's uh like a best-selling author, and she's written a lot of books, and she's um so she was also interviewed the same time I was. So 
I think we were interviewed in a row. And then I found out later that Elizabeth Vargas went out to lunch with Mary Carr after the interview. And I was so bummed. Oh, you're kidding. She didn't invite you? No. Oh, my God. Mary yeah. Carr had been sober like 20 years and I'd been sober nine months. But yeah. but still, I was like, if she's going to go out to lunch with somebody to like pick their brain or whatever, like, well, of course, she picked like the best selling yeah. author. Oh, my God. Well, does every sober person like read every single quit lit book out there? Because I feel like I have. I've read every freaking book out there and I love them. I mean, it's a great genre. I know you interviewed Laura Cathcart Robbins. Oh, and my God. Her book is so Stash good. It's really and good. And brave. Yeah. Dash. I will link to it in the show notes. Um, yeah, because it's so brave and so relatable and amazing. And I was so psyched to meet her in person. She came up to Seattle to give a book talk about Stash. And it was after I'd interviewed her on the podcast. And it was so cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So I've taken like way, way, way more time. Thank you so much. Truly, this has been on my bucket list to talk to you forever. This was really fun. This is like my most fun podcast so far. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you'll have a ton more. Tell everyone how they can follow you, find the book, all the good stuff. Watch your, listen to your podcast. So I do a podcast called For Crying Out Loud. Um, that's every Tuesday and Friday everywhere you find podcasts um, with my co-host Lynette Carolla. And we talk about parenting and I talk a lot about sobriety there too. Um, my website, stephaniewildertaylor.com. You can find everything. You can find my classes on there if you want to take a memoir writing class. Yeah. And the book Drunkish is out everywhere. Yeah. Amazon, and so Noble, do a lot of classes. sober people or newly sober people take your memoir writing class? Because I feel like that's something that a lot of people, even if they never want to publish, kind of explore. Yeah, I get a lot. I get a lot of sober people. I just get a lot of women. It's only for women. Oh, um, cool. I just get a lot of people that have always wanted to try writing and it's a nice, safe, I keep my classes really small. It's yeah. very loving and encouraging and I just make it fun. A safe cool. place. A That's safe place cool. for people to just like ex tell a little bit of their story, whatever that story is. And I help people figure out what story they have to tell. So yeah, a lot of times if people are sober, I'm like, well, tell me why. Let me hear that story. Yeah. No, I kind of like that it's just women too, because I don't know, writing a memoir is very vulnerable. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Truly. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how to's for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. 
New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more.